Welcome to Socialette, your go-to source for bite-sized lessons in launching and online marketing. I'm your host, Steph Taylor, and I'm a corporate dropout turned launch strategist, helping you launch your digital products simply and successfully so you can reach more people, grow your audience, and become the go-to brand in your space. Want to swipe my signature launch framework? Download my free ebook, The Complete Roadmap for a Killer Launch at stephtaylor.co forward slash roadmap. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. And don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss any of my latest episodes released every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Hey, welcome back to Socialette. This is episode 412. Today we're doing things a little bit differently. So I know that a lot of you guys have questions, tons of questions about launching digital products, about launching a podcast. And I thought I would put the call out to all of you and find out what questions you have. So for those of you who are on my email list, you will have seen the email that I sent out asking you to submit your audio questions for the podcast. Thank you so much to all of you who did. I'm going to answer some of them in today's episode. A lot of the ones that I received weren't related to podcasting or to launching a digital product. So I haven't included all of them, unfortunately. We'd we'd be here a very long time if I had included everyone's questions. But I did listen to all of your questions and I do really appreciate everyone who took the time to submit one. All right, so let's jump into the Q&A for today. Hi, Steph. It's Brianna from The Ambitious Dietitian, where we support dietitians in private practice. My question is relating to offerings. So what's your recommendations on creating one product, one offer for your audience versus having multiple options for them to buy into? Awesome question, Brianna. I'm really glad you asked this one because it comes up quite a lot. And I think there's nothing wrong with having multiple offers. I think it's actually a really good thing in your business to have these different price points and entry points and to be able to take people on a journey through all of your different products so that we're not just selling to them once, but we're actually guiding them through all of the different stages that they might go through and all of the different times when we can help them. The problem with having lots of different offerings can pop up when somebody's brand new into business and they think, oh, I need to have four or five different products before I can launch my business, or I need to have four or five different service offerings before I can launch my business when they could just go ahead and launch with one offering, get that one really dialed in, then think about, okay, what's the next thing that I'm going to create and launch? Then what's the next thing? Because if you've got one offering that's bringing in money, that's amazing. You can put that on the back burner and run that in the background while you're creating that next offering and bringing in money. Whereas if you've got three or four offerings that are half created, but none of them are bringing in money, that's where you're going to run into cash flow issues. That's where you might potentially need to go and get a job, whatever those, whatever that issue would look like for you. So we want to make sure that we're focusing on getting one done at a time while still keeping in mind the bigger picture of what it's going to look like in the long term with multiple offerings. Hi, my name is Kate Bork. I'm a brand strategist and designer based in Canada. My question is, if you are working on launching a course, what platform is the most important to build up your audience on before you're in a position where you can successfully launch a course? Thanks for the question, Kate. Okay, so 
I am always going to recommend building your email list over and above your platform on any other or over and above your audience on any other platforms. Your email list is such a powerful tool because you own that audience. It's not going to be impacted by any algorithm changes or any issues that could happen on another platform. Like I've seen a lot of people I know in the business space who've had their Instagram accounts shut down for no reason or their Facebook accounts been banned for no reason. So building that email list means that you own that platform. Then if you have something like a podcast or a YouTube audience or a blog, um, then building your podcast listener base or your blog readership or your YouTube viewer base, those are really important because you're getting your content in front of the right people. And that's the content that's going to nurture those people to the point where they are ready to buy from you. But we always want to be driving these people back to your email list because once you open doors, once you launch that product, then the people on your email list are going to be the ones who end up buying. So I look at the I, I look at the numbers and I look at the stats and I can see where people are coming to my sales page from when I'm in a launch. And most of the time it's from my emails. That's where most people click through from. Not that many pe- not that many people click through from Instagram stories, for example, even though I have a swipe up link. So if you can build that platform where you own it on your email list and don't like don't be terrified and don't be intimidated by it because it's actually a lot easier than you think it's going to be. And then once you launch, you've got those people there ready and waiting to buy from you. Hi, Steph. It's Sally Prosser here. I'm a voice and public speaking coach and comedy newsreader on TikTok. I've actually been a guest on Socialette, which was super fun. My question is about keeping the wait list excited. So my course is my six-week voice makeover, and I have quite a few months between launches because of other things going on in my business. And the next gap will be about eight months. I'd love to hear your ideas, Steph, on how can I keep people excited and ready to buy when I do open the doors beyond just keeping them on my email list? Thanks for that awesome question, Sal. I think a lot of people deal with the exact same thing that you are. So I'm really glad that you asked that. Now, I would say the first thing to make sure is that you're consistently showing up for them and giving them content. Once somebody's on your email list, then you want to be making sure that you're emailing them weekly, giving them lots of value in terms of what content you're sharing with them. You already do that because you provide so much entertaining content. So the next question for you would then be, can you, is there something else that you can offer them while they're waiting for you to open doors to your next course? So is there a live workshop you could run? Is there a lower ticket product you could offer them? Is there some other product you could create that's going to get them even closer to the point where they need to be to be ready to buy from you? So if we can give them some kind of product where they can start working with you while they're waiting for you to open doors, then that's perfect. That's going to even make them more likely to buy from you when you do launch your course. Another thing that you can do to keep them engaged and excited is to surprise and delight them. So can you maybe throw an impromptu Zoom Q&A session or maybe a virtual party where you're teaching a few things, you're answering some questions, something that feels comfortable and exciting and enjoyable for you and that you know that your audience is going to enjoy and is going to be surprised and delighted by. That would be a really fun way to keep them engaged. 
Ultimately, it's not so much about keeping them excited for the entire time because it's a really long time to keep people excited for, but we do want to start to really ramp it up closer to the time that you're opening doors and by making sure that you're sharing content that's going to get them to the point where they need to be to be ready to buy from you when you do open doors. Hi, Steph. My name is Carolyn Robistow, and I'm a therapist turned breakthrough strategist for high-achieving gray area drinkers. I'm online at carolynrobistow.net or social, most social media is at Carolyn Robisto. And my question is, what can I offer to big names and in industries connected to mine who I'd like to approach as podcast guests? I want them to benefit as well as me, but my podcast is new. So a large listening audience is not something I can offer them at this time. So I'm looking for creative ways that I can serve them while also asking them to be a guest so that we can have benefits on both sides. Thanks. Thanks, Carolyn. So this is really interesting because we all assume that the only thing we can offer somebody else is a large audience, and that's not the case. You have a very niche audience, and as you start to grow your listener base, the episode that you've recorded and shared with your podcast guest will start to naturally get more and more downloads. So just because you don't have a large audience right now, that's not a problem, and that's probably not going to hinder you getting podcast guests as much as you think it will. So uh, apart from a listening audience, what else can we provide to a big name and an industry connected guest? Well, one big thing that comes to mind is content. So they all have the they all have the responsibility of needing to create content for their audiences. What you can offer them is maybe you will repurpose their podcast episode with you into some other forms of content that they can share with their audience. Maybe you'll give them the audio file so that they can share it on their own podcast. Maybe you will record the video and create some Instagram reels out of it. Maybe you will create some quote tile graphics that they can share to their social media Think about all of the different ways that you can repurpose that interview that they're doing with you into content for them that they can share with their audience without having to do any extra work. Um, another op- another example might be you could turn that into a blog post for them that they can then share on their blog. The bonus of this is, of course, it's promoting your podcast and it's getting your podcast in front of more people as well. Hi, I'm Patty Diener. I'm an author, and I also have a podcast called Beautiful Second Act, meant to inspire folks 45 years and older to live their best possible life in this second act. I'm confused about trademarking and why trademarking is important and how to do it. Can you please explain? Okay, so trademarking is what we do to legally register our ownership of a particular name or maybe a logo or an image or something that's associated with our brand or a product of ours. So for example, I have a trademark on the name Socialette so that if anybody else in the marketing space in Australia or overseas or in in the US tries to launch a podcast or a business with the same name, I can then actually serve them a cease and desist and ask that they change the name of their business or their podcast and use something else. So it's a form of brand protection for me because if somebody else were to launch a podcast called Socialette, then that would decrease the value of my own brand. So it's important if you've got a, quite a recognizable brand name or quite a unique product name, for example, 
you don't always have to trademark it. And I'm not going to give you advice on whether you should or shouldn't because I'm not a lawyer. I can't do that. As far as how to go about actually registering the trademark, it really depends on which country you are registering it in because each country has its own processes. The easiest way, of course, is to go through a lawyer and get them to do it for you. Probably not the cheapest way, but you can outsource the entire process to them and make sure that it's done properly. You can also DIY it and you'll find all of the information that you need to register your own trademark in your country's IP or patents and trademarks authority. So in Australia, that's IP Australia. In the US, that's the USPTO. It really does vary a lot by country. So unfortunately, I can't give you a step-by-step, this is how you do it. I'm a food stylist and food photographer based in Singapore. I'm launching a new podcast and I like to use my existing photography business name as my podcast name. Um, I'd love to know whether that's a good idea or whether the podcast should have a different name than my existing business. I'd also love to know if a podcast cover should have my face on it and how important that is. Thank you. Mm, So a lot of the time when we're launching something new, whether it's a podcast, whether it's a digital product, anything new in our business that feels really significant, we tend to get caught up on little details. And That's not to say that your podcast name or your cover art are little details, but they don't necessarily matter as much as you think they will overall. They can all be changed over time. So to answer your questions, if you want to use your existing business name as your podcast name, go ahead. That's awesome. That There is absolutely no problem with that whatsoever. And the big benefit of that is that people will be able to find your business quite easily just by listening to your podcast and seeing your podcast name. As for your cover art, I love the idea of having your face on it because it helps your listeners to connect with the person behind the show. The thing with audio is we can't see the person who's hosting it, the person who's talking, and it helps them to be able to form this picture in their mind of who you are, who's behind the show. So if you can put your face on it, then I would love to see your face on the podcast cover. I hope that helps. Hi, Steph. My name is Samantha Hodder, and I have actually been a student of yours in the distant world. I purchased your a number of your digital products, and they've been super helpful to me to figure out how to navigate this world So I have a storytelling podcast. In the year 2018, I went to Antarctica with a group of women scientists. I ended up creating a storytelling podcast, which is five episodes long, which takes you on a rollicking journey all the way to the frozen bottom of this planet and lets you dive into one of the most difficult decisions anyone has ever seen, which is about how this group of women avoided the tragedy of getting stuck in the ice. I've started the launch. I launched the first episode about three weeks ago, and I have four weeks in order to maximize my launch window. So I guess I have two questions. How do you extend the runway? And how do you keep people excited about something that has a limited release? Okay, love the work that you do. And you've been a huge and massive help. 
Thanks for the question, Samantha, and thank you for the kind words. So with your show, because it's a very different style of podcast, it's evergreen content and it'll still be relevant years from now. So instead of looking at it as a limited time launch runway, I'd love if you could look at it as something where you're going to have little campaigns over the years where you're promoting it for just a few weeks at a time. So, you know, each year, maybe you'll have three or four campaigns that you treat a little bit like a launch and you're really going all out with promoting that content because it's going to be, it, people will still tune in and still find it really interesting even in six months time, 12 months time. So don't, you don't need to put too much pressure on yourself for the launch runway. So then when it comes to keeping people excited because you've only got a limited number of episodes, my first thing to you is figuring out who those people are, the people who you're trying to keep excited. Because once you know who you're trying to get your podcast in front of, then it becomes a matter of finding out where these particular people discover new podcasts and getting your podcasts in front of them. So this could mean pitching to media outlets. If you know what media outlets they read, it could mean getting interviews on other people's podcasts because people who are listening to somebody else's podcast, well, we already know they're a podcast listener. So it's quite easy to then get them over to your podcast. Maybe it's running paid advertising. Maybe it's putting in place some kind of referral program so that your existing listeners can tell a friend. And we also want to make sure you're keeping those existing listeners engaged even after they finish those five episodes. So how can you do this? Could you put together an email newsletter, for example? We've seen some fabulous newsletters out there in the world, paid paid newsletters where somebody's paying $5 a month to access your storytelling, for example. So how can we keep those existing listeners engaged between when they finish listening to your podcast and when you come out with your next whatever it is, your digital product, your next show, your next story? I hope that helps, Samantha. So there you have it. Those are some of the questions that I received. Like I said, I couldn't answer everybody's question. We've basically got a 20-minute episode, which is a lot longer than my usual episodes on this podcast. Thank you to everybody who submitted a question. And I hope that even if you didn't submit a question or if I didn't answer your question, I hope that my answers to the ones that I have shared in today's episode help you with launching your podcast, launching your digital product. That is it for today's episode. If you know anyone else who would benefit from Socialette, please do tell them about it. Make sure you hit subscribe so you don't miss any new episodes released every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And if you haven't already left a quick rating or a review, I would really love it if you could. Thanks so much for listening. Catch you next time.